You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We're talking this hour about this moment where there is such deep political and social division in our country, and as we are just on the brink of inaugurating a new president who promises a really different approach to those divisions. Joe Biden says he will not be like Donald Trump. He says he will try to heal the country. He will try to move us together collectively instead of dividing us. But what does that look like uh, in terms of policy approach? What does that look like in terms of decision-making for the new president, given all of the things that uh, are so divisive right now? We want to continue this conversation with Peter T. Coleman, who is a professor of psychology and education at Teachers College, Columbia University, who studies intractable conflict and sustainable peace. He recently wrote a public letter to President-elect Joe Biden that was titled The War on Polarization. It appeared on Medium. And he has a forthcoming book titled The Way Out, How to Overcome Toxic Polarization. It is set to be released this June. Uh, Peter Coleman, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, So we had you on back in the early days of the pandemic. And at that point, You'd written that the, the coronavirus, quote, has the potential to break America out of the 50 plus year pattern of escalating political and cultural polarization that we've been trapped in and to help us change course toward greater national solidarity and functionality. I don't think that's what really happened to us <laughs> over, the, over the intervening time. Uh, talk about what did happen and why that rather hopeful vision of what a national crisis could provide for us didn't come to fruition. Well, uh, I'm still optimistic. Uh, uh, and it, again, it depends on your sort of time scale. I, uh, things like, like uh, the COVID-19 um, crisis that we're in the midst of, the economic downturn that we're in, uh, the Trump administration's approach to the presidency, uh, which has been sort of a dramatic political shock to a democracy and to the American way. Um, and and then, you know, the, the, the acute polarization, the attack on the Capitol, these are all deeply destabilizing moments uh, or events in our experience as Americans and, and you know, ultimately in our history um, but those kinds of shocks to the system don't immediately make things better. What they do provide is a, a, a sense of sort of instability. And, and it, they destabilize what we take to be take for granted, what we assume to be true. Uh, and it does mobilize some people, particularly if they're fed up with the status quo, with the way that you know Washington is not working. And the way that we feel about our neighbors, if people feel a sense of exhaustion from that, uh, then they're more inclined in these times of instability to reflect deeply on their own kind of values and their own preferences and how they want to move forward. So these things can be an opportunity, kind of ripe, rich soil for a correction, you know, a sort of a reset um, but that does take time, and people have to have some guidance, some sense of what it is that they need to do to move forward. Mm. So I'm still optimistic that th- this time, these days, this instability that we're all in the midst of can provide a great opportunity for an American reset. 
Um, but I think, again, as I said, uh, the Biden administration and beyond, there has to be other actors involved in this really need to sort of set the stage for what that looks like. You know, uh, one of the things that I think is going on is, and we've seen this over the entirety of the pandemic, I think the fear and anxiety that the pandemic itself is is causing, uh, which is, of course, accelerated by the way that that it has been met by our government infrastructure, which has been chaotic and inconsistent, uh, is is bringing people closer to uh, the brink of uh, you know outburst. Um, mm-hmm. that, that that it's it's making it more likely that people will react in ways that they wouldn't normally, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and that leads to these. Extremes. Uh, on the one hand, I, I think uh, when you think of the BLM protests last mm-hmm. year and how how intense they were, how many people were involved, how much of a movement seemed to be started, uh, yeah. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with the power behind that. And, sure. and on the flip side, uh, this this mob that tried to attack the Capitol two weeks ago, I think is also inspired in a, in a very negative way, though, uh, mm-hmm. by, by the same events, that, that, that it is the pandemic and, the, and the, 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 the feelings that people have about it that's, that's at the root of all of this. Well, I, I think I agree with you to some degree. I do think that, um, you know, after a year of being shut in and feeling a sense of uh, lack of control over the virus um, and um, and feeling like the government hasn't had a, a handle on how to address it, um, many of us are exhausted. We're you know, worried about our loved ones. We're worried about our neighbors. We're worried about our futures and our careers. Um, <clears throat> and so I do think that that does create a high level of, you know, what they call emotional exhaustion. And people, again, may at some point lash out uh, against something, against what they see as the perceived enemy. Um, And sometimes those enemies are, in fact, you know, systems of oppression, and sometimes those enemies are manufactured uh, by the media, and they're presented sort of as a story, like a stolen election. So, I do think you're right that there is this emotional component of it. But what's also true is that, you know, in surveys that have been done by a group called More in Common, they have found that over the past two or three years, you know, the the middle majority of Americans, something approaching 90 percent of Americans, are spent, exhausted, frustrated, and fed up with the status quo, and they really are looking for some kind of compromise in Washington, some kind of leadership that is much more functional. And so despite the fact that you're, you're right, there is this emotional exhaustion which can result in people lashing out, there's also this sense of we need something else. And so I think the time is ripe for moving the country in that direction. Mm. Uh, we're talking about this moment uh, in our country, just uh, hours uh, before we inaugurate a new president, turn the chapter away from the Trump administration and toward the Biden administration, and what the opportunity is to address some of the polarization that we're seeing, uh, some of the deep divisions that have been stoked, really, over the last four years uh, by the person 
who was in the White House. Uh, what's the opportunity for Joe Biden? What's the obligation and the responsibility for Joe Biden uh, to turn things in a different direction? We would love to hear from you about that. Uh, what do you think is the cause of the country's polarization right now? And what role do you think uh, a President Biden could play in uh, uniting the country and dealing with some of the things that uh, people feel so bitterly about and getting us to move uh, move past that moment. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, go to Twitter, and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Peter, I want to talk about this letter, this open letter that you've written to President-elect Joe Biden. You are urging him to wage a war on polarization. Uh, what's what's your hope for his opportunity to do that? Right. So my language around that is very intentional because uh, at a time like this, when so many Americans are so angry and infuriated with the other side, um, it's a, uh, an extremely difficult, if not impossible, time to heal or unite, and bring people together. People are just too angry. But it, we can talk about how toxic that this high degree of polarization is for us individually, for our children, for our families, communities, and ultimately for our, our, our nation, because we can't attend to the other crises that we're facing in any functional way. So this is a, this is a toxic time. In some ways, the level of toxicity of, the, of our political polarization is parallel with the level of toxicity of something like covid because, you know, and they, of course, exacerbate one another. Mm. So I think really, right, you know, a message that we need to attack this, this problem, like we, you know, like they are organizing to attack COVID, I think we need to think in similar ways about polarization right now, because it is that, that level of problem. It's what I call a first order problem, because it affects our ability to solve other problems. Um, but it, it's, premature to call for healing and unity because pe- there are too many people that are too angry. They, yeah. they will be mobilized against something like toxicity in their life. Um, so that's the sort of first point I make. But what I offer Biden, and let me just say, you know, I think any presidential administration coming in at this point can't solve this problem unilaterally. Mm. This will take a a social movement of, of sorts. It will take, you know, communities um, working at the local level and in different sectors to help begin to mitigate some of the divisions and, and some of the harm that's been done. But a Biden administration can do a lot. They can certainly, you know, stop the divisive rhetoric. They can sort of get out of the, out of the way of uh, work groups that are working to unite us. I mean, the, the good news is that across our country, there are thousands of community-based organizations working in most communities to bridge these divides, to bring people together who want to talk to each other, to provide facilitation for that so that it's safe and effective, and then to even mobilize those people to take on kind of local concerns that they share. So there are many of what we call positive deviants. There are these groups that are doing good work today and what I recommend to the Biden administration is that they identify them, celebrate them, and support them in any way they can. 
and of course, they oftentimes need financial support, but also just sort of information about best practices. And, you know, it's a lot that the administration can do to help bolster what I call our, our community immune system. You know, these, these groups, these individuals that are bridging, uh, uh, building bridges across our political divide uh, are, are like our, our immune system. They're, they're fighting the good fight for all of us. And they are places that we can go, connect with other people who are trying to do the same thing, learn from them, get support from them, and move forward. So that would be the first thing I would recommend is that they really start a a national campaign to identify, recognize, and support these groups and help them do the good work that they're organized to do. Mm. Mm. Uh, Let's get to some of uh, our callers here. Bob in Lake Orion. Bob, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was going to say in terms of dealing with polarization, uh, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. There's a, um, you know, you have the deindustrialization, uh, you know, all these jobs that have left, which have caused a lot of uh, problems. Uh, you've got uh, pandemic has revealed we don't have a social, our social safety net is, is frayed. And uh, we've had 40 years of Reaganomics that needs to be addressed. And I think all of that adds adds further to the uh, present level of polarization. People don't have jobs. People don't have, uh, if they lose a job, there's nothing there. We're the only country in the advanced world, I think, without paying their people, you know, about two grand a month or something like that. There's a lot that we, not to mention the fact that when when I go home, you have right-wing radio running there uh, 24 hours a day, which preaches this kind of hate on the AM station. There's a lot that needs to be done, but you know, that infrastructure of the right wing has got to be attacked as well. Uh, Bob, I I think uh, great, great points. And, and the focus on the economic chasms that exist and have grown so wide in this country over the last uh, few decades, I think is, is, is huge. Uh, Peter Coleman talk about the driver of economic despair behind this division. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Bob completely on both points. I think that there is a pr- profound sense of pain in many communities that goes back, you know, to at least the 2007, 2008 crash and the loss of jobs and homes at that point, um, and that there's been recovery by some, but not by many. Um, and now that's, of course, exacerbated by, by, by COVID, the, shut, the economic shutdown associated with COVID. Um, and so we're in another round of excruciating pain, which you see evidence of in suicide rates and depression and, you know, and, and the opioid epidemic. You know, there's all kinds of evidence of this pain. And then that is a, a profound bedrock of a lot of this sense of disenfranchisement, um, resentment and sort of mobilization. And then you have uh, those in the media that target these issues, that weaponize them, um, and, and as opposed to offering realistic solutions, they they vilify the other side and they use these as ways to, you know, again, mobilize um, one particular side against another, but really don't offer concrete solutions to those. So I think one of the things, of course, that the Biden administration needs to do is they need to do good things for people right away. Mm-hmm. I think you need to put in a major bill to 
um, help people financially, uh, economically, you know, getting back to work, getting back to going back to school. Uh, Their plan that they've rolled out, I think, is the the smartest move that they can make is just provide some help immediately. But what I would add to that is, you know, I do think that uh, certainly the Democratic Party um, and government has um, has failed to listen sufficiently to the pain of people. And I think that is something that the, the, the Trump and his administration understood even running for office that, you know, listen carefully to right wing radio, listen to where the pain is and then manipulate that pain. Mm. Well, you can also listen to people and not with the intention to manipulate. (laughs) You can you could you know, I've encouraged the the Biden administration to launch what I call a radical listening tour where they work with this these local bridge building groups in communities that are trusted by the members of the community to uh, to to really begin to listen and hear about the pain and about solutions, local solutions that are offered and uh, remedies that are offered um, and 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 then respond to those. So it is, you know, there's good research that says that when you know when people are feeling disenfranchised and, and disempowered, if you listen to them, if you really hear them and you respond to their needs, it has a profound effect on their own attitudes. Yeah. And so there are evidence-based ways of reaching out to people, listening, hearing, and responding. And so I think a, a, a national movement on that front um, would go a long way to turning down some of the outrage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Peter Coleman, a professor of psychology and education at Teachers College, Columbia. Great to have you here again uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks for, so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And Valerie and Holland, Cliff and Flint, too bad that we did not get to your calls today, but uh, stay with us and uh, give us a call tomorrow to get onto the show to talk about what we are discussing then. We are going to preview the presidential inauguration tomorrow and talk about what we can learn from democracies in other countries from former Wayne State University President Irv Reed and Honors College Dean John Corvino. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.